This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. The Pretoria High Court has found that load shedding constituted an infringement of constitutional rights and given the Minister of Public Enterprises 60 days to ensure sufficient electricity supply to spare to, of course, spare public health facilities, schools and police stations and to spare them, of course, power interruptions. The Gauteng High Court ruling that forces the government to provide continuous power supply to all public hospitals, clinics, schools and police stations and it reveals ultimately that huge, huge gap between the plans of political leaders and their presentation and the impact of load shedding at grassroots level. Let me bring Khushé into the conversation. Khushé, welcome to Power 98.7. And let me say welcome to Power 98.7 again. How are you? Uh, good evening. I am doing okay. I can't complain. <laughs> I trust that you're well as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Considering considering I got st- I started being load shedded at eight o'clock this morning, <laughs> and by the time at six o'clock, how oh, you laugh? That's a lovely little giggle, Khushé. <laughs> a lovely little giggle there. At, at at of course my concerns, which are not your concerns. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 let me say, at eight at six o'clock this evening when I left the house. Um, I was absolutely still doing it in the dark, so that was mm. that's my journey through the day, unfortunately. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm seriously hoping that by the time I get home, you know, there'll be a, there'll be a light on at the gate already that'll tell me that electricity has returned. But that's my day for me. How was your day, by the way? Ah, uh, we all going through similar things. Uh, you busy trying to do uh, some work and. Uh, if you don't set your things up well, you know that you're going to have interruptions and it's going to get worse, unfortunately, as we are approaching winter. Um, so people must brace themselves. They must make plans where they can, those who can afford to. Yeah, no, look at you just getting in the deep end there of the pool. It's going to get worse. Those those who can make plans must make plans. It's going to get worse just in the deep end. Khushé, I'm going to ask you about that also because we're in stage load six at the moment. And maybe let's start there. And we're beginning to see what winter is going to be this particular year. And and I really felt cold today. You know, the rains were all about. And, and people can say, you know, it's late rains. We shouldn't be having rains at this particular time. Um, but of course, that's what the weather, you know, forecast is. And we're getting rains at this particular time. And it was really, really cold today. And people are talking about flooding as well. And, you know, when, when electricity, when, when you do have flooding and you do have rains, you do expect a higher, of course, you know, load on, on, the, on, the, on the electricity grid. And so that's a, norm, a normality where, you know, even government, I think, in their, in their, in their stats, you know, puts, puts an, a, 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 a particular figure as to what winter is going to look like and then begins to, you know, judge as to what level they're going to get these days of, of ESCOM. Will it be stage six? Will it be stage eight? Will it be stage 10? So like you say, it's, it's only going to get worse and those who can make provisions should and those who can. Not every, not everybody can ultimately make those provisions. Uh, I'm in the place where I am trying to make provisions at the moment, and 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 a Paris trip is now going to have to be parked this year. 
you know, and, and so I have to use that to begin to put solar panels on my roof and, and all sorts of things so I can begin to get away from ESCOM. I didn't need to get away from ESCOM, but, you know, government has forced me into a conversation that I need to get away from ESCOM. But, but it's going to get worse, as you say. How worse do you think it's going to get? It's going to get worse because if, especially if winter is very cold, mm. if winter is very cold, then the, the demand is likely to increase mm. to all the way up to 35,000 or 37,000 megawatts. Mm. Given what we know on the supply side that we have insufficient su- supply uh, and, and also we have uh, intermittency in the system mm. where some of the plants are not operational when they are supposed to be mm. and we they're not as predictable as they used to be in the past. Mm. So we are, if anything happens there that is extreme, we're definitely going to face a winter that is going to be cold. And yes, with your solar panels, you can somehow mitigate, but you definitely mm. will not be off the grid unless you have your own storage capacity, yeah. which I doubt that you do. Yeah. So um, probably options like gas cooking and, and Absolutely. gas cooking mm. may help. Though sometimes you have uh, constraints in terms of the LPG infrastructure being limited. Mm. Um, yeah, but that that that's what we're going to we're going to see. There are no credible plans on the table right now mm. to increase supply, except uh, we are going to. We have a provision that ESCOM has of 30 billion that will be spent on diesel to try and mitigate, but um, mm. I doubt it will be sufficient. That that word when you when you use it and in in my example, and you say mitigate when I'm putting the panels on on the roof, and you also talk about that same word mitigate in essence, where ESCOM is beginning to to utilize diesel to to mitigate um, in the in the same in the same fashion, but obviously it's to mitigate. Um, how long down the road, if you look at the present scenario and you understand the present, you know, language that we're beginning to use here as ESCOM, as the country, uh, as politicians, as individuals who, who understand, you know, energy, how, how long down the road do you think we're going to sit with this, Khushé? It depends on what we do yeah. and not what we say. What we do, we we had a and and, and explain explain mm. that what we do in the same vein as what you've just said to me in a previous sentence. There are no credible plans on the table right now. Yeah, so it depends what we do, because uh, remember that the president put together the energy action plan mm. that is announced in twenty twenty two. We asked at that time what the timelines look like and what is going to happen. So the plan aim of the plan was to say we're going to get some of the power coming from the private sector mm. um, who are developing projects. So um, what that number looks like uh, is anyone's guess, but mm. uh, there are constraints with respect to transmission infrastructure for those, oh, sorry, for those private sector projects. Mm. Then the other solution was to look at regional projects. Um, there is talk of Mozambique, but there has been talk of Mozambique is supplying a thousand mm. megawatts for quite a long time. Mm. Uh, again, is transmission infrastructure ready for that? Are there any constraints in the system? We don't know. Mm. And so the gap, uh, so from the supply side, we can, again, there's um, Kusile, 
which are the three units that um, that have an outage right now because of the chimney there. Mm-hmm. Those three units are forecasted to come back on stream in December. So that's like uh, three times uh, seven units. That's about 2,100 megawatts. And then we have the Quebec Unit 1 that should come back in 2024. Um, you have the reliability maintenance that's supposed to be done on some of the plants, which mm. means over time, as you are getting these ones up, there are some that will be off for a long time mm. for reliability maintenance. Mm. This, is, this, this means that we should be having reserve capacity. Mm. That's how other, other economies operate. Mm-hmm. They have reserve capacity that is standby capacity that is used when, when there's not enough supply in the system. Mm. When you have, your plants are off for maintenance or they break down, we don't have that. So our system is very vulnerable. Mm. And whenever you have a, a, a huge increase in your demand, it affects the system. Mm. So how long will this take? It depends on how realizable these plans are mm. and also whether you have significant capacity coming on stream from whatever one of these sources that you have. When I look at them, the ones that are really credibly could come back on stream are the ones I mentioned in the Tupi, Kusile, mm. and Quebec, but at various stages. Then you have the the, 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 the the independent private producers that may bring in some capacity. Again, that must be backed up by something because it's intermittent renewable energy sources. Mm. So I think I would be more comfortable if there was significant new capacity coming on stream to help mitigate all of these issues and to help um, have some reserve capacity that stands by um, um, that is sufficient. We do have, of, of course, open cycle gas turbines, which use diesel, but we are mm. overusing these. Mm. They are supposed to be used for emergencies or peaking periods when there's um, um, a lot more demand. But now we seem to want to run them as normal plants. In the long run, we may have issues with these as well, because we are operating them at levels mm. that are not sustainable. Here's a question then. Uh, because government says, yes, they have a, a five-point plan, and I've got that five-point plan in front of me, and, and you know, energy experts say, just like yourself, this needs to be in place, and all sorts of things need to be, and we need to look at our finances, and we need to look at renewables, and what we, what we ultimately, depends on what we do, you say. The, the the question that that I then have to ask you is, let's assume, just assume that we do get out of the mess we're in, um, and 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 we're pretty deep in this particular mess, and we can argue and talk about how we got here, and I'd like to do that one day, actually, how we how we actually got here, because I I I always find we have a conversation about what we need to do now, and government is always preoccupied with what we need to do now, and I suppose it's an important conversation, but we're never having the conversation enough of how we got here, because at some point we were fine, and now we're not fine. Here's the question I really want to ask you. Let's assume that we do get out of the mess that we are in. Are we ever going to be in a relationship with ESCOM in the same way that we were before? Or has it so fundamentally changed that forever and a day in the history of South Africans will power be an issue? Will the the fact that 
you know, people will have to, you know, where possible, mitigate and make do and try to use gas and do things a little differently. And those who can put panels on their roof, put panels on their roof, and others have to just live differently and begin to think of all sorts of other things. Will our relationship with ESCOM ever be the same as it at one particular point was where ESCOM was winning awards and ESCOM was just, you know, doing the most? Will we ever get back there or has life forever changed for us? We could, but we are not on. Um, we are not um, doing uh, significant things to take us in the on in that direction right now, mm. where we have significant. Remember that at some point we had excess capacity, where we multiple three coal-fired power mm. stations, and then we brought them back on stream later on in mm. life. So at I huge cost, at huge cost, like one must to, say. <laughs> we are not likely to have oversupply, but we could if we did the right things, have um, a reliable supply. Obviously, the system uh, as a whole is go- is undergoing a transition or transformation where you now will have ESCOM National Transmission Company mm. that will buy power from other entities. Mm. So having ESCOM as its total monopoly as it used to be in the past is unlikely to mm. happen, but it could still be. It will still be a dominant player for a very long time as it uh, Right now, all our electricity, over 95% of our electricity comes from ESCOM. Mm. So we can't wish them away. can't wish away those coal-fired power plants that they own. Um, there, is talk, there is talk of, there was previously talk of decommissioning them quickly. Mm. Now there's talk of how do you decommission when you are having a supply constraint. Mm. So there's talk of uh, at least giving them um, a further lifespan to be able to serve us until... We have a solution and until um, we are no longer able to, to rely on them. So we will have definitely a, a dominance of ESCOM, but the private sector is coming to the table as well. Mm. So over time, we will transition slowly towards a different system. Sure. I, I want to ask you, before I get into the court case and, and, and those particular dynamics, um, I, I need just for historical um, purposes this particular question then. Um, ESCOM as it is and where it is at this particular moment uh, and how we got here doesn't really matter now. The question then that I have to pose is, is um, in, in this transformative space that we're at at the moment and where ESCOM at some particular point maybe does become a, a distributor of 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 power rather than a generator of power and you know in in lesser capacities a generator of power but maybe still you know private utilities will begin to lean on the escom grid as a distributor of power and maybe we begin to get a balance there um is it a conversation in south africa that has been hastened along by 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 what we ultimately have done and ultimately we're we're now saying that, you know, getting the private sector in, getting the conversation about the renewables in, getting the, the conversations about alternative energy sources in, and all sorts of other conversations that we're having now around ESCOM, these conversations we would not necessarily have been had, having if we did not, you know, have ESCOM where ESCOM is. Is it, is it on the one hand really, really detrimental and, you know, ju- and we should be judgmental of how we got here and we should be judgmental of the process and of the stakeholders who got us here. 
and then also be kind of, you know, applaud the fact that we're, we're into the next conversation or next generation of things pretty earlier than we would have been anyway. Do you, do you see the balance there? How, how do you see it? Do you, do, you, do you see it the same way or do you, do, you, do you see it as, you know, it's a conversation that I, I particularly see it as a conversation that would have come, but maybe, you know, come 15, 20 years from now, but we're, we're at that conversation now. Yeah, I think for me, what's important in all these discussions is that we should be focusing on security of supply mm. of electricity in South Africa as sure. a priority. Mm. Um, whether that means that you transition or transform quickly or not, um, for me, the priority should really be because without security of supply, mm. uh, your economy suffers, your people people suffer, mm. um, uh, you know, and people die in hospitals. So that should be a priority. I know mm. we take it as if it's normal because of how much we've been uh, traumatically taken mm. through this process that should not be happening, mm. you know. Then in terms of transform, transforming the, the sector, this has, was envisaged already in 1998 through mm. the white paper on energy policy. Mm. It foresaw that the private sector would play a role. Some do question that uh, to what extent does the private sector uh, um, uh, help guarantee performance um, because of um, this is a public good and the um, the public sector should be providing it. In mm. other countries, that makes sense. But in South Africa, since we've, we've messed up, it doesn't. In other countries, <laughs> since like we've Ke- Kenya, up. for mm. instance, you have um, Gen, which is a, a, a large utility that is listed in the Kenyan Stock Exchange. It mm. has private sector players, but the dominant player is still government. The dominant player in the transmission system is still government, and um, but they do have the private sector playing a role, a significant role also in the generation of of, of power. Mm. But for us South Africans, I think before anything else, because we tend to have all these balls that we're juggling in the air without really getting to the basics of making sure that the economy. We supply it with the electricity that everybody and every economy deserves so that we are able to be competitive out there. We are able to to really progress as South Africans. Mm. Load shedding is holding the country back. Mm. Load shedding is holding the country back. Can I ask you, Jose, one one last political question? And it's it's not so much of an energy question. It's 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 a political question of 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 in essence and 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 I ask it because of the things that you're talking about and you're talking about for us the 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 security of supply is absolutely important because people people suffer and people die in hospitals and we we're beginning to see the realization of that um but the but the the security of supply as you said that I I then begin to wonder why it this this issue of security of supply even though there was a white paper way back then that begins to talk of the private sector involvement, why security of supply was not such a big issue on government's agenda. Uh, when, when obviously we can talk about different administrations in different times, but ultimately the same, the same, you know, the same ruling party in, in involved throughout. 
why and where and how then do they miss the ball on a crucial aspect of security of supply when everything, everything, the right to life ultimately, as this court, as this court has made a ruling on it, where it says hospitals and, and, and clinics and the likes need to be constantly and continuously supplied with electricity. That's the right to life. How do they miss the ball on this security of supply element in an entity that is key to that whole terminology of security of supply where where how how do you how do you do that when everything seems to be working and in place and 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 going around smoothly and then we are where we are like you say we've we've messed up horribly how does a government i can understand that a business will come up and business decisions are made and then businesses fail how do you fail escom when when security of supply is at the essence of everything well, we have had uh, variations of uh, security of supply constraints. In the past, we had security of supply that was designed constraints for those who did not even have access yes. to the grid. Mm. Uh, I mean, you would have farmers, a farmer having a line connected right through their farm, passing a whole lot of neighborhoods mm. of, uh, of black people mm. that did not have access. So mm. I'm not saying that it's only this government. Mm. that did not have. So there were mm. no municipalities did not have. Um, my grandmother did not have electricity mm. when I grew up, you know. Mm. So let's put that into perspective. Mm. However, we we, we, we did um, uh, increase electrification to a large extent to everyone. And we did have plans to build new capacity in line with that. We mm-hmm. did foresee that there would be issues. And uh, I think you remember President Mbeki did say, that there was a mistake in terms of uh, building that capacity. It was a combination of that mistake in terms of the timing of the decision, mm. but it was also the private sector not coming to the party because electricity was so, um, costs were so low. So mm. having getting their margins was important for them as well, more than security of supply. Mm. So it's quite a bit of, it's a bit of a complex issue. That If I get mm. into it, we can get sidetracked very easily. <laughs> but um, mm. we we also subsequently did uh, uh, have a build program, albeit uh, a bit late, with the Kusile, Matupi, and Ingula uh, build program. Uh, that program also unfortunately suffered, as you know, through the Zondo Commission, from uh, corruption, mm. delays, some design uh, issues that happened there. And then uh, those issues, um, uh, have, uh, at least to a large extent, were sorted with need to be, um, for instance. However, unit four out of negligence of need to be, when everything now designed, most of the design issues were fixed, you had a unit for blowing up as a human error. So mm. you see, in all these eras, there are some blunders that are mm. happening now, but they are all different mm. and different polit- from a political and economic point of view. Mm. So you can go back to those issues and say what happened, what did not happen. The important thing is that what are we doing now mm. to address this particular issue? And the most important beyond what are we doing today is what are we planning to do in the long term? Mm. What kind of an economy do we have in mind? And that economy that we have in mind, how are we going to meet the needs in the long term? Because infrastructure is long term in nature. You don't just wake up and have uh, 
transmission infrastructure crisscrossing the country. You have to plan, you have to have a budget, you have to know that this is when you have to uh, optimally bring it in so that we don't have these constraints. Sure. We have constraints in terms of, I mean, we have gas resources in the country that we could be exploiting, but very often you find that there's environmental issues, there's environmental activists stopping some of those opportunities, you mm, know. Mm, so mm, it's, a, mm. it's a whole a lot of different issues mm. that if we had time, we could get into any of those mm. windows. One, one could debate what's going on in the Karoo as well with those gas reserves as well. I mean, look at the mm. U.S. The U.S. developed quite... Uh, significantly when it used to rely so heavily in the Middle East in terms of its resources. But they're using shell gas as uh, uh, from from Canada. They're using shell gas in, in America because they developed their resources. Whilst they were still uh, um, <laughs> tiptoeing around um, what needs to happen to, to realize those things. We didn't put the infrastructure that we needed to put in place to tap into those gas resources. Now we are having expensive imports of um, liquid fuel, diesel, heavy fuel oil that we use in our electricity sector. We Mm. need to have a plan that takes into account all these issues, not just supply today, all of the systematic issues and what's feasible. Then we can say that South Africa is on the right track in terms of of the energy system. Khusha, let me let me just park you for a little bit because I want to bring Jerry and Jan into the conversation. Jerry, you've got a question or a comment? Yeah, my question. Thanks, uh, my brother, and sure, bro. uh, even into your guest. My question is: Is there any plan to create the financial relief for workers? Because uh, the state of emergency was supposed to be declared, especially to address the issues of workers who have lost income due to mm. companies shutting down because of there was no electricity. As, mm. as I'm saying now, I've been staying, I'll stay actually for three weeks without going to work because of ESCOM has caused my companies to shut down. Also other companies that are components to, uh, uh, to supply chain management and mm. everything. Mm. So is, is government preparing themselves to pay the loss of income or should we take the government to court as a litigation because on its own they have acknowledged that this is a gross negligence of disruption of human nature of a a human amenity i mean if you look in families families cannot survive anymore because of there there are no jobs so our jobs have been disrupted by government so are they going to uh, prepare some declaration of a state of emergency for workers or to court Sure, that's Lennox. That's Jerry in Letabila. Let me bring uh, Jan, Jan into the conversation. Jan? Yeah, Denzel. Sure. Oh, yeah. I'm good, Jan. Man. And your guest also. Sure. Look, uh, Denzel, your guest is saying everything according... Jan? It, according to the book yeah. in black and white, what she says, plans and all these things, she says good things about every leader in the ANC knows we'll put ANC on a spotlight for today because of this started this mess long time ago. I've got my conspiracy theory. ESCOM will never work as long as it's getting a bailout. Mm. They take a 10 billion this side, take it on the other side because there is no way we can keep on talking about 15, 20 billion every year like this, but there's nothing that is getting fixed. What are they using this money for? Is it for employees? Is it for resources in terms of equipment? What are they using it for in terms of their plan? 
And there is no way that prior 94, ANC came to party to, 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 to take government without a proper plan of saying that in terms of strategic plans of the resources like water and sewage and all other services which are basically supposed to be government responsibility, that they forgot about them currently because of now people are enriching themselves. Yeah, and in Silver Lakes, let's bring in Lennox in Sasselberg. Lennox? Good evening, guys. How are you? I'm good, Lennox. How are you, man? I'm okay, man. Thank good, you. Man. Yeah, look, I just want to say that, uh, you know, like we are at stage six now, but mm. we technically speaking at <laughs> stage eight, more or less. Mm. Because, I mean, now you are in winter. And mm. In winter, you're most likely going to pick up, uh, you know, on your uh, demand side for about 33% mm. on average. And so when you take that and you take it to stage six, it gives you an eight, kind of. Mm. But the main thing is this, uh, Denzel. You know, for government to actually uh, respond uh, successfully to the situation and uh, uh, do that uh, in a manner that is going to be fast enough would be to ensure that base load is uh, whatever capacity we have that reinstatable is, is, is uh, uh, resuscitated, and it is very possible that that can happen. Like mm-hmm. uh, your guest was saying, uh, there are issues with a couple of units at uh, Midupi and some at Kusile, and, uh, you know, the 900 watts, megawatts that's uh, being under service uh, at uh, Kubek, mm-hmm. if it comes back and all those other units are back, then we would have just made even. But we had to ensure that as we go along, the population grows and uh, the economy grows. We, we, we should be going alongside. We, we should be making sure that uh, we're making sure that the expansion of the, of, of the generation uh, infrastructure goes at the same rate. You know, every five years or, or, or ten, if we could be making a power station or two, we wouldn't be having these problems. But I think private sector is at the moment, very necessary to come on board because ESCOM just does not have the, the kind of money involved in getting to uh, buy equipment that can reinstate the resuscitation that I'm talking about of the base load. Mm, mm. And so, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Thanks. Thanks. That's Lennox and Sasselberg. Let me bring Jose back in. Jose, um, I'm going to head off to to, to what uh, government issued and, and their statement also today, but Please do comment on the callers. I, I agree with Lennox, and uh, I empathize with the uh, colleague who was talking about uh, losing employment. Unfortunately, those are the consequences of load sharing, mm. and it will probably be very, very difficult for any individual to say that's a direct impact to bring the direct link. Mm. I mean, mm. the courts, they can go to the courts, but I mean, that's also costly, you know. Mm. So it's really the consequences of what we are all experiencing, which is really bad for employment in the country, for the economy as well. Mm. Um, the other colleague was talking about, what was he talking about? The plan. Mm. The plan that we have is the Integrated Resource Plan of 2019, which uh, still talks about projects like INGA. I know those projects are not going to be feasible anytime soon. So we need to update and look at uh, uh, plans that are more credible and plans that are up to date so that we know that um, and, and, and implementable mm. plans. 
not just uh, plans on paper and in theory. Sure. Khusha, let me let me let me head off to the Pretoria High Court and and mm-hmm. and and they have particular finding that load shedding constituted an infringement of constitutional rights and given the Minister of Public Enterprises 60 days to ensure sufficient electricity supply to spare public health, ability, schools and public police stations power interruptions. Also, I'll just read that differently. The Gauteng High Court ruling forcing the government to provide continuous power supply to all public hospitals, clinics, schools and police stations and reveals the huge gap between the plans political leaders present and the impact of load shedding at grassroots level. I'll read something else to you. So that's the ruling of the High Court in essence, suggesting that these these institutions be given a continuous supply of electricity and those institutions basically being uh, all public health establishments as defined by the Public Health Act, public schools as defined in the South African Schools Act, and the South African Police Service and Police Stations as defined in the South African Police Service Station. Now, that's a, a high court ruling. But today, the Minister of Public Enterprises, Mr. Pravin Gordon, has announced that the government or the department will be lodging an urgent appeal to set aside the judgment that was handed down by the North Gauteng High Court on Friday last last week on Friday on load shedding. Mr. Goran said that the DPE had serious concerns about the implications of the court ruling on the current efforts to stabilize the national grid and get the country out of load shedding. So there you basically have it. People have gone to court and said, you know what, um, we're in a mess and, and there are certain you know, key institutions that need electricity. And, and they brought the constitution and they read the constitution in court and the, and the court was also making judgments based on constitutional obligations and the such. And particularly in the health sector where, in the health sector where you know, um, the, there's, there's also a right to life. And like you said, people are suffering and people will, are dying in hospitals. This this particular challenging of that particular court uh, judgment, it's not a surprise, is it? Because ultimately, when I saw it and when I thought about it, I thought, you know, it's it's an impossibility. Government can't do this. It's not in it's not it's not on their watch. It's not in their brief, and it's not in their capacity at the moment. So I was really expecting that government through Pravin Gordon would do this. Did you? No, I, I expected that he was likely to be either in contempt of court if he doesn't challenge this, ah. or he's likely to challenge it because practically 60 days, um, I don't think that's being feasible. Yeah. Um, remember that your um, police stations, um, your schools, as, as well as um, uh, hospitals mm. are embedded within localities mm. and neighborhoods. And they can they are not isolated. They don't have they don't stand alone in the grid system where mm. you, they are just supplied on they can be separated mm. like that. You have an interconnection of municipal um networks and you have an interconnection of uh, uh medium voltage um mm. uh, grids and how are you going to say, Okay, in this neighborhood now I'm only going to supply this hospital. Mm. So from an infrastructure point of view, if you were to do that, you would need huge capital infrastructure. Mm. It's almost uh, uh, impossible, almost impossible. Mm. And then if you went with the option of going for diesel generators, Mm. the question is how many hospitals do you have? How many schools do you have? How many uh, police stations do you have? Mm. So how much of that 
old generators do you need? And do you have that capacity internally or logistically would you have to import those? Um, you have diesel. ESCOM has talked about 30 billion spending for winter, 30 billion on diesel to try and address load shedding. Mm. Um, in addition to that now, would they now have to buy diesel for all these uh, separate schools, you know? Mm. And if you could hypothetically have these um, isolated, say, in theory, um, you would then need other neighborhoods to take up for the shortfall and have mm. more load shedding and mm. more intense load shedding, which is not really what you would want. Mm. A solution that you need is a solution that addresses and reduces significantly load shedding. Sure. Under the National uh, Disaster Act, that was um, disaster, what is it? National State of Disaster uh, Regulations. Mm. Hospitals with were going to be exempted, but they looked at a number of hospitals that you have in the country, and only a few, relatively fewer, could uh, easily be, be connected or have generators and all of that. It was not feasible then for just hospitals, mm. all of the hospitals. Now you're adding schools, now you're adding um, uh, police stations. I do empathize again with the hospitals, but mm. I think we need to come up with credible, implementable mm. plans. Um, otherwise, we'll have court judgments that are difficult to implement. Mm. Well, that's 60-day given, and, and I also look at procurements and just other administrative issues of government. Procurement, budgetary, and, uh, and I didn't timeline. think it would make it in, in any way. Mm. Mm-mm, it would not. So, so uh, you have to. Mm. So, so here's the here's the question then, Khushé. How how do you make a judgment of that particular nature? Is it because you are you are blinded by the fact that you have constitutional issues in front of you, whereby you you know the constitutional issues are are, are paramount, and 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 almost you know shouldn't be challenged, and 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 they they are there and almost cast in stone. And you have a scenario now where ultimately government is not, you know, abiding by some of those constitutional obligations. And so a court looks at looks at something like that and says, you know, the right to life at an in, for an individual in a hospital that ultimately is impacted by load shedding is more paramount than than, you know, the reasons given for not giving that particular hospital electricity what 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 do you think the reasoning then becomes what, what's the logic here as to how the court might have been thinking about this you know because in 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 front of them they do have the constitutional aspects they do have the practicality they do have the administrative aspects as well and they do have also this thing of understanding where escom is at the moment so how do you get to a court judgment of that nature Mm. That's a difficult question. I'm not a lawyer, mm-hmm. but I, I would assume that they interpret the law, which is, uh, yes, obviously the right to life mm. um, is, a, is, a, is enshrined in our constitution. So, But I wouldn't like to get too much into that. Mm. The lawyers in the room may just say, they have a stick and say, no, now that's not your territory. Mm-hmm. But uh, there must be, there must have been considerations in terms of the impact on people. But I wonder if there was a, a, a I did read the judgment, but I didn't engage in in that much detail to understand whether they, there's an understanding of the technical implications, mm. especially when there are timelines that are put around 
that when the things these things are, will, will, would happen. Mm. Because if you look at it purely from an energy perspective, a technical perspective, you would have a challenge. Mm. But you would not argue with anybody who's saying, all, all of us think that we should not be having load shedding, but mm. we are having it. And, you know, um, so, so yeah, so I, 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 I understand mm. the reasons, but, but I don't know if the, the practicalities were threshed out um, and how the, the timelines were arrived at. Mm. Here's, here's a question, and I see Tom also in Teresa Park wants to come through and ask a question as well. Here's a question then, then, then for you. Uh, the president argues that, you know, also amongst others, that, you know, an argument of these particular of this particular nature should have by by the particular people who are arguing in the court, and a lot of them are political parties, uh, that they should have maybe been made in parliament, and parliament should have been placed the place to to make those particular arguments, and 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 you know the 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 of course. Um, uh, people are saying, well, you know, we, we did try in Parliament and, you know, you, you laugh at us. And in some instances, you know, in jest and when we do make suggestions about having various committees look into what's going on at ESCOM, you also just, you know, uh, use your majority and, and you know, um, the decisions go elsewhere. And so these are the only places that we can come to now are the courts where we can ultimately be listened to. I think maybe there's a lesson in that in essence too. But but you think there's some justification for a, a Cyril Ramaphosa a government, you know, uh, on s- uh, suggestion that, you know, this might have been better handled in Parliament ult- ultimately, but also understanding the argument of why they, they didn't go to Parliament? I do. I empathize with South Africans who feel frustrated uh, because, as I say, we've had this problem. We've been talking about solving it and not resolving it. The president has been coming back from different engagements overseas over a long period of time, promising that there would be interventions. But in my view, there's still no real credible plan around the table in terms of how the, how we plan to address load shedding. Mm-hmm. We still have sometimes um, different ministries uh, uh, saying different things. Um, uh, there's a little bit more convergence recently but in the past, there was a, uh, Andre Direte saying that they want to accelerate decommissioning of the coal-fired power plants. Then you have the electricity minister coming in and saying, no, we need to extend those. You know, we have a just energy transition investment plan that is looking to decommission the plants while we are having relatively, uh, we are having load shedding every day. So um, I think that the president is the last person to say that because... Um, the credible, a credible, doable plan on mm. the table is not yet, in my view, in place. It's 11 minutes past. No, it's seven minutes past 11 o'clock. I'm reading it the other way. It's seven minutes past 11 o'clock. It is Power 98.7. Power Perspective, of course, it is. The studio line to call is 0861987000. The WhatsApp number is 0833037093 on Twitter. It is at Power FM nine eight seven. Tom and Teresa Park. My guest, of course, is still Khushe Moleshe, and she is an energy expert and just leading us through the conversation at the moment. And I've just asked her to stay a little longer so that Tom and Teresa Park, who's coming right at the end of the conversation, just to to lay a particular comment and a question to Khushe, who I will let go immediately afterwards. Uh, Tom and Teresa Park, you've got a comment and a and a and a. And a question particularly to Khushe? Yeah, Denver. 
How's it? Chief? I'm good, Bruno. How are you, my man? I'm good. I'm so grateful that the 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 judiciary in this country is fair. Mm. Then they made a judgment in on on the side of the people. Mm. Uh, what is rather, I, I want to observe something. Suddenly, the minister of, of public enterprise. He he is coming out and saying, "I am appealing." This mm. actually, the the I I wish that the judgment has set a week or just a month. Mm. Sixty days is far too long. And 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 you know, if 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 they if they are appealing by by you know appealing, the uh, the government is uh, technically saying we cannot deal with this load shedding. Mm. Not only that. Now at least we know who is the minister responsible for this lochedi. Kosian Ramo Hopa is he he's non-existent here. The responsible person is responding to the decision of the court. Mm. And my question is, what if they go and appeal and the court says still we say you do as we said as per decision of the court before? Mm. Huh? What will the government do? Tommy, Teresa Park, I'm going to ask Khushe, but I think Khushe already leaning into that particular answer. Khushe, uh, you've heard Tom and Teresa Park, but, but you already, I think, were leaning in, if I was listening properly to you, in, and you know, just before the news, you were leaning into that conversation where you were saying, you know, you were going with, where, where I was going with, I did not think they could do it and they could not make it, uh, you know, that they could not achieve those those deadlines and whatever. You were talking about contempt of court and you were going that particular route already. Is that the route you, you're going on this particular one, Khushé? Yeah, I was speculating about that <laughs> because I know that uh, from a, a practical, physical point of view, mm. they would not be able to, to do it. If they, they could... They would be, we would not be having load shedding mm. today. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, load shedding itself is not something that's acceptable. Mm. I agree mm. with the with the speaker. There, it's not acceptable that hospitals uh, have to go to uh, people have to go to court mm. to compel government to do what is supposed to be government's mm. job. Mm. That I agree with. Having said that, I know that practically, uh, it's not going to be feasible for them to to have these interventions. Even mm. when there was the national state of disaster declared, mm. as you read those regulations, there were still limitations in terms of, even though they were prioritizing hospitals, they had identified a number of hospitals out of the total hospitals in the country mm. where some of the intervention could be done over a period of time. Um, and so physically, government has to do something in terms of putting out infrastructure there. Technically, government has to do something. Financially, mm. government has to do something. Mm. I, I I don't know if they will. The wheels of the state have never seen them moving that quickly. That mm. would be. I'll be pleasant. I'll be pleasantly surprised if that, that were feasible. Khushé, <laughs> thank you so much, Khushé. But you know, he makes an interesting comment as well. He says, "Finally, we know who is responsible as as the person <laughs> who is." <laughs> 
after the circus. <laughs> he says, finally, you know, it is it has emerged to us who is the person responsible, even though there is a new minister and whatever, you know. No, but he's the shareholder of ESCOM. Absolutely. He determines uh, ESCOM's performance mm. uh, in, in terms of uh, setting uh, with ESCOM in terms of governance, what they should be able to do. And you would know that they have a two-year plan right now mm. where they were supposed to increase the energy availability factor of the coal-fired power fleet. Mm. Um, initially, it was supposed to 60%. It's supposed to reach 60%. They missed that deadline. Mm. Um, and they are still chasing uh, the deadline for two years where energy availability factor should be at around 75%. Mm. So you see, even with the good intentions, with the new board coming in, new efforts coming in, there's still, uh, still the reality on the ground that you wish you can increase this energy availability factor. But the reality on the ground sometimes um, um, will hit you if mm. you did not plan earlier for all those interventions to take place. We are now in a situation where we are reacting mm. rather than proactively having planned and now realizing plans. Yeah, so that's unfortunately where we are. thank you so much for joining me here on Power Perspective tonight. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. And it's always a pleasure talking to a Khushya Moleshe, of course, energy expert, and just bringing some insight into that particular uh, court case as well. And what, of course, would happen, Tom, if the court went, if they went back to the court and the court said, uh, you know what, you have to comply, and it is a court, it is a court ruling. Well, I think I'm with Hushe on this one. Contempt of court is what it is then going to be because obviously uh, I don't see it. And and Hushe also saying it. We should never have been in this mess, but we are in this mess. But I cannot, I cannot see them abiding by that particular court ruling. It's just an impossibility. And ultimately, Tom, I agree with you again in the sense of it is ultimately government saying to the courts, we cannot do what you are saying. We cannot... We cannot give electricity to those particular critical departments, even though we want to give it to them. We cannot give it to them. Very, very sad scenario that we are in at, the, at that particular moment to find ourselves in, in a place where we want to give electricity to the police, to the educative, to the educative uh, sector and to, of course, to the health sectors. But we cannot. And so hence, we have to go back to court and we have to say, it is just an impossibility uh, that we give energy and power supply to these sectors. Great idea, but we can't. Sad, sad that government has to actually say that. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.